and have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Everybody have a seat. We're going to go ahead and get started after I take a drink. How is everybody doing this morning? It is good to see you. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to, uh, to the book of, of Colossians. Um, I meant to check to see what page it was in our house Bibles, but I didn't do that. So Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Um, I, I really wanted to read um, almost the entire first chapter of this particular letter. Um, and then I thought, well, I'll read the first 20 verses. And then I thought, well, that's too long. So I'll read just starting in verse 11. But I, I want to commend this letter to you. We're going to be starting our series today, uh, our root series. We're going to begin with the person and the work of Jesus. And there's no better letter, there's no better word than to, to start with the, the, the letter to the church in Colossae. And, and this is a beautiful letter. If you have not read it, um, I would commend that you go home this afternoon and spend some time or sometime this week reading it. It's only four chapters. It's not that long. You can, you can get through it pretty quickly. But there is uh, amazing, amazing truth found in this, in this letter. Let me pray for our time, and then we'll, we'll begin. <clears throat> Lord, we, we need you to incline our hearts, Father, to your word. Our hearts are distracted, Lord. Our hearts are, are, are factories of idols, God. They desire to fill our hearts with things that are not Jesus. And so, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need something from outside of us to, to incline our hearts to your word and not to selfish gain. God, turn our eyes from looking at the worthless things of this life and give us life in your ways because that is where life is found. We, we try and satisfy, Lord, our deepest desire with the things of this world, and they don't. They come up empty. Only Jesus will satisfy us, Lord. Only your word, the living word, will satisfy us. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would incline our hearts to your word, turn our eyes from selfish things, give us life in your word, Lord. We thank you, we trust you, we anticipate that work in our hearts this morning, and we anticipate and we ask for your spirit to move mightily among our people. You are a good God, and we thank you, and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus, amen. So Colossians chapter 1, let me read this passage beginning in verse 11 on through chapter 20. And then today we're going to spend our time specifically in verses 15 through 20. But beginning in verse 11, Paul says this to that church, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Today begins, as Sam said, our four-week series that we're calling Old Roots. And I get to kick it off. 
Um, I'm honored to be able to stand up here and to begin our series called Old Roots by talking about Jesus. And I'll, I'll explain, Sam has already explained um, why our, or that we're calling it Old Roots. I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail in just a second on, on why we're calling it Old Roots. But, but first, I just want to say um, how excited I am for 2018 to be here. And, and I, don't, I don't think, as I've been thinking about this, I don't think I've been as excited about um, a new year personally in my own life, in my own family's life, or in the life of our church. I don't, I don't think that I've had this type of anticipation and desire and anticipation to see how God is going to work in my life, in my family's life, and in the life of our church. There is a, there is a, a, a longing and an anticipation and an excitement in my soul for what God is going to do. I'm excited to see what he's going to do this year. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. And, and I say that not to be Mr. Optimistic, right? I don't say that to look at, at things through rose-colored glasses. I say that because God is a good God, Amen. right? That's why I say that. God is a good God. We, we were reminded several weeks ago, the last time I think Jeff preached, that God is sovereign, Right? God is sovereign over everything in our lives. No matter what has happened, no matter what will happen this year, God is sovereign over that, but he's also good. And that's such a good word for us to know. That is a fundamental truth of who God is. And we have to start there. Regardless of what has happened, regardless of what you're going through or will go through this year, God is sovereign over that, and believe me, you need to know he is good in that as well. Let, let us hear that this morning. Each one of us will experience some goodness this year that will be obvious and evident in our lives. Some measure of goodness. Pardon my voice, it's going to go in and out with all this, the, the weather and sickness and stuff. I'm having a hard time keeping my voice <clears throat> clear this morning, so my apologies. But all of us will experience goodness this year in some measure, right? Could be relationship-oriented, could be jobs, school. Some of you are having new babies, some have had new babies. It's an exciting, exciting year. You're, you're anticipating the goodness. My family anticipates much goodness this year. We, we have milestone, many milestones in our families this year, milestone birthdays. I've got twins that are graduating from college that will be starting college, graduating high school, excuse me, that will be graduating, college, graduating high school that will be starting college in the fall. Our youngest will be going into high school. I have the honor of teaching her how to drive later this year. And I mean that honor. I'm looking forward to that experience with my daughter. It's a milestone year in our family. And we look forward in anticipation to celebrate much in our life. But we know, just as much as we look forward to celebration in 2018, that there will be sadness and there will be trials. And each one of us in this room will experience difficulty this year. 2017 may have been a great year for, for you, right? May have, been, may have been wonderful. There may have been nothing to, that you could really complain about. And at the end of the day, there's really nothing you can complain about because God is sovereign and he is good. But some of us have gone through some serious stuff. But some of you may have had a good year. Going into this year, there's going to be difficulty. It may be just a small thing that only you're aware of. Maybe something huge where the people that you know and love in your life are mourning with you and praying with you, and are present there. And as I reflect back on 2017, I can see the times where, where there was sadness in the rearview mirror. I can see how God has worked faithfully in all of that because God is sovereign and he is good. Now the reason I say this, I don't, I don't simply bring this up as an introduction. I bring it up because in context of our letter this morning that Paul writes to, to the church, the Colossian church, he prays specifically for them in verse 11 that we started this morning. He says, he prays that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, but he prays it for a specific reason, for all endurance and patience. Paul knew that the, the church, the Colossian church, was going to experience difficulty in this broken world, right? He, he knew that. Paul, Paul just knew that. And when he says to the Colossians, I'm praying for you, be powerfully strengthened and endure and be patient and grit your teeth as you do it, Colossians. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. Nor does he say, don't worry, Colossians, you'll look back in the rearview mirror of life next year and you'll see God's hand in all of that. He doesn't say that either. He says, 
may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. With joy. And when he says with joy, that word joy is not an afterthought. It's an exclamation point. And it's a vital truth for us to remember here in the 21st century just as much it was in the first century and every century in between. We are called to endurance and patience with joy, to give thanks to God our Father. Here's here's why this is important. Paul, what he's doing in this letter is he's giving the church a rebuke. But this is a gentle rebuke. This is a kind pastoral rebuke. It's not like the rebuke that Paul gave the Galatian church where he's calling them fools and he's saying that he's astonished by their behavior. This isn't important because because you need a rebuke, by the way. That's not why it's important. But because of the reality of the deception that is in all of our lives, that's why it's important. Paul begins this letter and he says, I pray for you often. And he says, you're bearing fruit. You're bearing gospel fruit, but we learn later in the letter that they're a little bit off in how they're living out their faith. They've been deceived. They've been deceived in some things, and they've become slaves to some man-made traditions. And what Paul does is, is textbook Paul, but it's textbook gospel. It's the most captivating and compelling thing, and that's why I want you guys to read at some point, go read the entire letter to the Colossians, because it's the most captivating and compelling way Paul does is he lifts up and he holds up the person, the work, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He gives them Jesus. That's what Paul does. And he reminds them in verse 13 that Jesus, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. Let me read that one more time. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred you, Red Tree Church, to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is good news. That is good news. It doesn't get any better than that. Jesus is better. In the midst of them misbelieving the gospel, Paul gives them Jesus. And that's how we begin this morning. Today we begin this four-week series, and we call, we call it Old Roots. And we just raise up Jesus this morning. That's what we're going to do. Because that's where we need to start. That's where we need to begin is with Jesus. The purpose, as Sam said, is to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves. To reintroduce Red Tree back to itself self now this isn't this isn't a nostalgic look back at the old days right some of you've been around here for a long time and some of you have been here for for just a few months and and we have the in-betweeners but this isn't a look back nostalgically we, we had our revive many of you were there when we had our revive in the sky music lounge at the barn right that's where red tree started back in 2009 or so um some of you were quite nostalgic going into that because you remember that place or you remember the barn because we've, we worshiped in two different places in the barn and it's a very familiar place and it, it pulled on my heartstrings a little bit pulling into that parking lot. There's a lot of great memories in that old place. But we don't look back nostalgically at that. And the reason is this, because nostalgia rides on the coattails of creativity. Does that make sense? Nostalgia rides on the coattails of creativity. Now, when I say creativity, I don't mean, I don't mean that, that we're artistic or musically inclined or that we can sing or paint or draw. When we look back nostalgically at something, we're homesick for something that has already been created. Often, that's not a healthy thing. We look back and we're homesick for what has previously been created. If we look back too longingly, we have a tendency to fix our eyes on what has been and we will miss what is being created now by God. Do you get that? When we look back too longingly on something and we're nostalgic, we get caught up and we get homesick in what has already been created. created. And beloved, God's doing a work now. God's doing a work today and he invites you into that. 
And we as your pastors invite you into that. And we want you to invite those that you know and love and will come to know and love this year. Invite them into what God is doing because he's doing a work in the now. It's okay to look back. There's nothing wrong with looking back. Don't fix your eyes on that unless it's Jesus. So we don't look back nostalgically at this because God is acting and working and he's inviting us into his work now. So you're thinking, okay, why do we call this old roots then? Well, the reason is, is basically because of two scripture passages that I'll point you to. You can just make a note. You don't need to turn there. One is Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's echoed in Psalm 1, maybe familiar. And then in Colossians 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The only thing we look back to is the same thing that we look to today and in the future, and that is Jesus Christ. If we plant ourselves by the living streams of water that is Jesus Christ, our roots will be deep and established and will not cease to bear fruit. We will not only endure, we will endure with joy. Even as our world seems to be crashing around us, even as we experience personal discomfort and tragedy, and things aren't going well in our lives or, or in, in, in the world in general, and it seems like everything is falling around us, we can endure with joy. If we drink deeply from the well that is Jesus Christ, we will abound in thanksgiving. That's why we're calling this series Old Roots. Because if we're found in Jesus and we follow him, he will establish those deep roots. And we will produce the beautiful fragrant aroma and flower of faith that flourishes, flourishes and endures forever. Forever, eternally. And it begins now. It's not for the what's to come. It begins today. It begins now. Because God is good. And that is my prayer. That is the prayer of our elders for you. I don't want to just simply survive as a church. I want to flourish. I want to flourish as God's people. I want to see us flourish individually. I want to see us grow spiritually first. Numerically, yes, but I want to see God continue and maybe begin a new work in some of you for the first time, and I want to see you grow and flourish and give joy regardless of the circumstance in your life this year. Because God is a good God. Because that is his heart for us. John 10.10 10 says Jesus came to what? To give us abundant life. Don't settle for anything less. The tomb is empty. We will celebrate that in just a few months. The tomb is empty. Let's praise Jesus. We are free. So let's, let's get started. And we're going we're gonna to run over some familiar ground. For those of you that have been around for a little time, we're going to talk about the mission of Red Tree Church because it, it has been and continues to be this. We exist as a church to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that familiar to you guys? You've heard that before. You see it on our website. The, the, the elders spent some time over the last several months kind of thinking and praying and, and trying to figure out, do we need to change that? Does, that need to, does it need to be worded differently? And the answer is no. Any gospel-centered church would affirm that statement, right? That, that's, that's for any any, any church that centers themselves on Jesus Christ will say, we exist as the people of God to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It works out differently in different churches. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We want to bring clarity and definition to how our church lives out that mission. And so there's three ways that we're going to do that. Three ways that we want you to remember that. Some churches call these values. Some, people, some churches call them pillars. We happen to call them rhythms. There's nothing magical about rhythm, right? So if you don't like the word rhythm, it's okay. Don't, don't think about it. What's important is what they are, right? And what they are are Jesus, 
community, and mission. Those are the three rhythms that create a culture to live out our call as the church to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as Sam said, beginning today for the next two weeks, our elders, each one will unpack one of these rhythms. Jesus, then community, then mission. And then the fourth week, Sam will come back and he will connect all three of these rhythms into our overarching vision. Does that, does that make sense? Does that sound fair? Are you guys excited about this? This is an exciting time in the life of our church. And I'm not one that is like, I don't bounce around a lot, you guys. I mean, I, I would probably hurt something in my body if I bounced around, but I'm not this over-exuberant type of a person. You guys, many of you know me well, and you're nodding your heads. Justin, I see you. That's the thing about joy is that it's deep within inside us. It doesn't always come out with a big smile on our face. Sometimes we need to smile more, me included. But there's a deep joy in us, and I'm joyful, and I'm excited, and I hope that you guys are excited too. I know that was a long introduction, but let me, let me begin by saying this about the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection is the center of everything we are and do as a church. His life is the example. He is the truth, and he is the only means of obtaining salvation. Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, our rescuer. Because of this, we have, listen, we have reoriented our lives around him and his finished work on the cross. Therefore, we are unashamed of Christ and his glorious gospel. It is there where we find life. Amen. That can be amen. That also is found on our website. That's nothing new. That's nothing new. That has been crafted from our pastors in the past to, to describe what we believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So today we talk about Jesus, and you're like, Craig, you guys talk about Jesus every week. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. Each one of these rhythms will, will have a verse that's, a, that's attached to it that we will preach from. In all reality, this entire book preaches Jesus, right? So you can buckle in because we'll start in Genesis and work our way to Revelation but I thought maybe we should refine it just a little bit, so that's why we're in Colossians. And we're going to read, I'm going to read again, Colossians 15 through 20. He is, the invisible, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you are going to memorize one thing this year, please memorize that passage. That is worth memorizing. There's a lot of goodness in that passage. There are a number of ways that we can navigate our way through this, but for our purposes this morning as we launch out on Jesus, I want us to first see the tension that exists in this verse. And you may be thinking, tension? There's all this Jesus goodness in this passage. Where's the tension? Well, as we go through Mark and as we have our preaching collective as pastors with us in Mid-Cities and the gathering in, in India that we have once a week, we talk about, um, in the book of Mark, this narrative. And so we, we do a literary analysis that, that we talk about like, what's the setting, what's the rising tension, what's the resolution, all, all, these, all these things that's literary-like. And, and we, we see this. This isn't necessarily a narrative. In fact, um, commentators consider this passage a hymn. Right? We could sing this. You could sing this. They could sing this. So it's, it's a hymn, and we want to see the tension. In verse 20, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. Something happened that required reconciliation. Something happened that required restoration. Now, I know you know this. I know this is not 
new to most of you, but I need you to stick with me and I need you to be willing to listen with fresh ears. Many of you are good church folk, but we need sometime, as church folk, we need to be reminded of things, don't we? And so I need you to stay with me on this. We're, we're not, this isn't Sunday School 101. We're, this is deep stuff and we need to get this. So I please stick with me on this as we talk about this subject. God created and it was good, right? It's a familiar story. Genesis, I told you I'm starting in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, some of you may have recently read through this. Maybe you're in some new Bible reading plans and you've, began with, you've begun with Genesis and you've already read that this week. Hopefully, we're a week in. Hopefully, you've stuck with it long enough to where you've made it to Genesis 3. That'd be great. Genesis 3 is the account of the fall. So here we have God creating this beautiful place and he created beautiful people, and he gave them beautiful life-giving rules to live by, rules that protected them, rules that kept them safe, and kept them connected to him, the source of life. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God Jesus came in and Mark and said, this is what I'm proclaiming. It's God's people in God's place under God's will and blessing. That is the kingdom of God, the very definition that Jesus came to proclaim. And the reason that Jesus came to proclaim that kingdom is because in Genesis chapter 3, we read the story of deception that resulted in brokenness. We read, we read about Adam and Eve being deceived by Satan and believing a lie. And what was that lie? Surely you won't die if you disobey God and eat of the tree. Surely you won't die. In fact, he says, not only will you not die, you're going to become like God. And they fell for it. And the world was plunged into darkness and brokenness and immediately was in need of restoration. And we still feel that brokenness today, do we not? We still feel, many of you are sitting there and you're feeling the weight of the brokenness because of that lie that was believed years ago. Some of you have, have tuned into what's going on in our world and we see the brokenness that's that's, that's in our world that seems like it's on the verge of, of something bigger than all of us, something terribly bad. We feel that brokenness, and we still believe that lie. We get caught up in our own web of deception and lies. We may not think that we can become like God, but we believe a lie that's more insidious than that. We believe we can create our own gods, which is even worse. Because that means that we've elevated our status to God. We create idols. And we have all kinds of idols. And we can get out our tools, and we can carve, and we can shape, and we can sand, and we can hone all sorts of idols. We don't call them idols. We just treat them like things that will ultimately satisfy us. An idol is something, anything that elevate, we elevate over God that we try to fill our soul. It doesn't have to be physical, but many of them are. Cars, houses, boats, TVs, swimming pools. We even, create, and we even create idols. We carve out idols to put our other idols in, right? Awesome garages that are heated, right? To keep our, I don't have one, by the way. But to keep our idle cars in, right? Awesome man caves, right? To keep our idle 50-inch flat-screen TV in. How about our, our idle backyards that are meticulously manicured with a nice privacy fence to keep our idle pool or whatever it is we have? Relationships can also become idle. That's a big one. Spouses and kids, whether we have them or not, we can worship an idol that we don't even have. We can worship a concept or an idea as an idol. Listen, if we worship an idol we don't even have, how much are we going to worship that idol when we get it? Even more. Even more. Because that's not what satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. Idols and the lies we believe about them can only, can only ultimately lead to emptiness, regret, and frustration. And why is that? Because we're entrapped by our feelings. We believe the lie that if we only get fill in the blank, then I'll feel satisfied. I'll feel fulfilled and satisfied, and life is going to be wonderful for me. And then I can do this. And that thing could be good work for the church, mission in my life. As long as I get this, then I can do this. And that's just a lie. 
Because feelings change. They ebb and they flow based on any number of things. But truth is truth. Truth is truth. Truth, as defined in Scripture, is something that is firm and solid and valid and binding. And we live in an age where we think that your truth is just as valid as my truth and his truth. But Jesus is the truth and he does not change. And when we understand that Jesus is the truth, then we can't possibly believe that truth is relative. Now there, there's another idol. An idol that we cannot see, but one that is, I think, systemic in our American culture, and particularly here in West County. There's a word in this passage that speaks to what absolutely shatters that idol. All right, I'll get to the idol in a second. But there's a word in our passage this morning, verses 15 through 20, that speaks to an attribute of Jesus that absolutely shatters this particular idol. It's a small word. It's used eight times in verses 15 through 20. But it's, a, it's the thread that binds all of these verses together. And it points to the one single profound truth about Jesus Christ that's critically important. Do you know what that word is? Eight times it's used in this passage. It's a small little word, all. Little tiny word used eight times. You may have missed it. Let me recap how this word is used. It's the Greek word pos, which means all. It's very simple. It means all. It means everything. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. By Jesus, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things. In Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead that in everything, all things, he might be preeminent. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Tiny word points us to a profound truth about Jesus, and it's a critical truth that will destroy every idol in our lives. That little word in this passage points directly to Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. That's what we learn in this passage today. That's what I want us to see. There's, a, there's many different ways this passage can be preached. You could, you could, we could preach on this for, for months. We could take each verse and preach multiple messages on this. Again, that's why I commend this, this chapter to you, this book to you to read. But the profound truth that Christ is sufficient is what we need to get today. The truth that Christ is sufficient shatters the one ultimate idol that gives birth, I think, to every other idol that we have. That idol is the idol of independence and self-sufficiency. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is the only one that is sufficient. And that truth shatters the idol of independency and self-sufficiency. Something went cosmically wrong in the garden. Sin, death, brokenness entered into the world, and the world has been aching for restoration ever since. We long for reconciliation in our hearts, do we not? We long for reconciliation in our hearts. And we seek it in many ways, and many, if not most of those ways, are destructive to us and the ones we love. We're searching for contentment because sin causes restlessness. That's what sin does. It causes an angst. It causes a restlessness in our soul. You see, Jesus Christ is sufficient and it's only when we believe Jesus is sufficient in all things that we find our ultimate contentment and find our rest. The blood of Jesus on the cross had to be all-sufficient because the human heart is a vacuum that sucks everything in it it can find in hopes of satisfying its ultimate need, which is contentment. Jesus said we can rest in Him. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. Remember Paul's thorn? You guys remember that in 2 Corinthians? Paul said that God gave him a thorn from keeping, keeping him from being conceited. 
It's not an actual thorn, by the way, right? Paul wasn't picking flowers for his mother and got a, a thorn stuck in his thumb. He says, he says that God sent a messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him from being s- conceited. Seems a little drastic. But God did what God needed to do to get Paul's attention, and, and Paul pled with God to remove that thorn. But remember how God responded? He says, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the sufficiency of Christ. It's, we think of sufficient and we think of adequate. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean it was adequate. It doesn't mean it was just enough. The grace of God that is sufficient is abundant grace. It is everlasting grace. It is past, present, and future grace. I think Piper wrote a book called Future Grace. It's probably awesome. Paul says as a result of that in 2 Corinthians, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Philippians 4, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. When was the last time we were content when someone insulted us? Good grief, it doesn't take much for me to get insulted sometimes. And I throw myself a little pity party. And it's pathetic. It's pathetic. Christ is sufficient. It doesn't matter if it's an intended insult or not. 100% of the time, it's, well, 99% of the time, it's not intended. I'm sure sometimes it is. Why is Jesus the focus at Red Tree Church? Because he is sufficient. He's sufficient to destroy, to destroy our idols. He's he's sufficient to destroy our idols of independence and self-sufficiency where we believe the lie that we can do this on our own, that we've got it. We're good, Jesus. I got this. You saved me, but I got this. I can go from here. No, we need Jesus. Why is Jesus the focus of Red Tree, the focus at Red Tree? Because in our independence, we try to find contentment by filling the Jesus void in our hearts with pathetic imitations and by doing so we cause pain to the ones we love and so we need jesus why do we need jesus why is jesus a focus at red tree because jesus is better he is the only way and he is sufficient so we need jesus so we know we hear it's clear i think it's clear that we need jesus isn't it It should be clear to us by now we need jesus so what do we do about this right we apply what we've learned in the Gospel of Mark. For those that may be visiting, we're interrupting a series in the Gospel of Mark that we began uh, a couple months ago. We'll, we'll be in for probably the better part of the year, if not beyond. And what we do when we realize we need Jesus is we apply what we've learned in the early chapter of, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We repent and we believe the Gospel. You fall on your face and you ask God to forgive you that you have created and carved and shaped idols in your life to replace him or in an attempt to replace him. And then you turn away from those idols and you turn to the trusting arms of Jesus Christ as your all-sufficient Savior and Lord. Now, trusting in Jesus, right? It doesn't just stay there. Trusting in Jesus means there's a follow-up action. And that action isn't what saves us either. Christ has done the work on the cross. He said it is finished One time. But there's a follow-up action. The general call of the gospel, the general call of Jesus is to to repent and believe, right? But the, the, the individual call to all of us is to come and follow me, he says. Be my disciple. What does that look like? What does it look like to be the disciple of Jesus? Well, let me remind you again of the mission of Red Tree Church. We exist to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to know how to glorify God, it begins with the only person that it can begin with, and that's not you. And it's not me. It's Jesus. Listen to this from John 15. Piggybacking the, the fact that, or the truth, that our, our mission statement is to, we exist to glorify God In John it says, by this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We exist to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel. By this my Father is glorified, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's an action There's a following. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's how we glorify God, by seeing lives transformed by the gospel. We follow Jesus. It begins with Jesus. We're going to get into community, and we'll get into mission. But before we do, it starts with Jesus, because this is a progressive deal. It starts with Jesus, and it compels us to community, and then launches us to mission. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, which is abiding in Jesus, you are truly my disciples and you, know that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Abide in Christ. That's what this looks like. To abide is to follow. To follow is to abide. To abide is to remain. To abide is to sit down, to dwell, as if we're staying overnight on a journey. We abide in Christ so that we can continually glorify God. We don't just glorify God when we want to. That's typically how it works in my life. I glorify Him when I want to, when it's convenient for me. We're called to continually glorify God with joy. We endure with patience and joy. And Paul is praying that they would be strengthened by that. How do we know then that we're abiding. Where does this following take us? Well, you may say, well, it takes us to heaven. It does. It takes us, ultimately, it takes us to heaven. But we abide and we can have joy right here, right now. We can have, Jesus says, abundant life now. Abundant life is not meant to terminate on us. Abundant life doesn't terminate when we're having a great quiet time in the morning, right? Abundant life does not terminate on us because the gospel does not terminate on us. The Christian life is not stagnant. The gospel grows and bears fruit. Again, we read that in the first chapter of this letter. And in 1 John 4.12, if we love one another, God abides in us. Verse 16, whoever abides in love abides in God. Here's how you know that Christ is abiding in you and that you are abiding in Christ is if you're joyfully serving and loving others. The key is joyfully. Because when we're doing it under our own strength, that joy is no longer a joy, but it's a burden. And if we're burdened by this whole thing, there's a pretty good sign that we're not believing the gospel and that we're not abiding in Christ and that he is not sufficient. It means there are idols in our heart that need to be rooted out when we're not believing the gospel. What happens when all this breaks down? Because it will, right? Even on our best days, when when we are believing, and we're operating, and we're praising, and we're giving glory to God, even in a trying time, it's going to go wrong. Things are going to break down. We're going to fail. We're going to stumble. We're going to forget the gospel. Ephesians says that we are to speak the truth in love to one another. That's one way that we're in it together for one another. God is for you. Do you realize that? God is for you. He loves you, and he allows us then to be for one another. And so Ephesians says that we are to speak the truth in love to one another, to encourage, to spur each other on, so that we may, Ephesians 4, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're to grow up into Jesus. Jeff Vanderstelt says in his book, Gospel Fluency, It's God's intent that every person who comes into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ eventually will grow up into maturity. And maturity looks like Jesus. And one of the most significant ways by which we grow into maturity is by speaking the truth in love to one another. There are 60-some-odd one-another passages in Scripture. We can't do this on our own. 
We're not built to do this on our own. That's another longing of our heart is for connection, right? There's a longing. There's a desire to be connected. We hear that from, from even, even the city administrator of Baldwin that says he sees that with people that are contacting them that need help. There's that innate sense that they need something, something bigger than themselves. We have to be fluent in what the gospel is and how to apply it to one another's lives. That's speaking the truth in love. We don't just use encouraging words. We use gospel words. We use words of life. But how often, how often do we dispense the same sort of advice to one another, advice to one another, that the world offers up? Don't we do that? We don't use life-giving words of the gospel because we think it sounds corny. We think, oh, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm a Jesus talker. No, we're brothers and sisters. We need to be building one another up, but often we use advice that the world offers up. Or, Or how about this? How many times do we find ourselves complaining and grumbling and gossiping like everybody else does? All the other people that we know that aren't believers, people that we work with, our neighbors, Nice people, great people, helpful people, people we love and we know, but they don't know Jesus. And they get brought down with gossip and slander and complaining and grumbling, and sometimes they drag us right down with them. Folks, we can do better than that because we have the good news to bring to bear on the tough stuff of life and on the small stuff. When life just stinks and when it's hard and when there doesn't appear to be an answer, don't just empathize with someone. But do that. Do that. Be the shoulder to cry on. Be the person that's there to love and to nurture. And maybe you wait. Maybe you wait to share truth with a fellow believer. You just need to be the shoulder to cry on for a while. That's okay. We need to do that. But it goes beyond that. We also also need to give them Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here. He's giving them Jesus. He's holding up Jesus to them. As we close... A few ways that, that this looks like specifically in the life of our church, how this plays out in our church. And this is how I want to end. And then we're going to take, we're going to celebrate communion today. This few ways, about five ways here that, that these play out practically in Red Tree. Um, how, this being how we, how we give each other Jesus, how our church glorifies God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel. It starts with Jesus Christ. So these five things. First, it begins with exegetical preaching. Right? If, that's a, if that's a different word for you, edge, ex, exegetical preaching just means that we will continue. We always have from day one. We've preached systematically through the Bible, often alternating New Testament, Old Testament, chapter by chapter, passage by cha- chapter, sometimes verse by verse. We will systematically move our way through Scripture, always pulling out and mining it for the truths of Jesus because that Bible is all about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And we will be faithful to exegete Scripture faithfully to lift up Jesus. The second way is creative worship that always comes back to Jesus. We, we may do things here. We may have elements of worship, whether it's the music we sing, the way we sing it. Maybe they change a tune to an old hymn that you just don't like, doesn't resonate with you. That's okay. We're going to continue to focus on Christ. You may not like something that we do, but someone else, it may resonate with them deeply and allow them to worship. That's part of bearing burdens and loving each other. Our creative worship will always come back to Jesus and not people or feelings. The third thing is that if you're at Red Tree, besides any reason other than Jesus, you're here for the wrong reason, and ultimately you won't be satisfied. Ultimately, you just won't be satisfied. If you're connecting yourself to something other than Jesus Christ, you're here for the wrong reason. The fourth, no matter what program or relationship that helped you fall in love with Red Tree, and let's be honest, a lot of times, we, 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 people come to our church and people are here today because they know other people, right? They love and they trust them. And that's good and we want that. And that's, that's a connection point and that's wonderful. But if, if you're here for, for a program or a relationship and that's what helped you fall in love with Jesus, that relationship doesn't matter apart from him. Because there's, it's Jesus in them that you see that compels you to come check us out. 
when somebody reads a tweet or our Facebook post or hops on our website, it's Jesus we want them to see somehow through that technology. God works in all of that. That's what we want them to see to have them come here to experience firsthand Jesus Christ. Lastly, if there's a dissatisfaction in your relationships among the church, whether it's your gospel community or someone else within our church, then there's probably something misfiring in your relationship with Jesus. Those are hard words, but that's just the truth. And it's just as true in my life as it is in yours. This is, I'm preaching this to myself. If there's dissatisfaction in your relationships, there's probably something misfiring in your relationship with Jesus, in or out of the church, because he is sufficient. He is all we need. We're going to celebrate, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to celebrate communion. There's no better way for us to end this than to celebrate communion. And so here's what we want to do this morning is rather than what we've, we've done traditionally is we take communion and we encourage you to, to go into your gospel community uh, groups and um, celebrate together as a family. I want to celebrate this morning as, as God's family, all of us together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to pray and I want you to come and I want you to take the elements and go back to where you're sitting or you can stand out here. And when everybody has it, then we will, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss a little bit about the meaning and the significance of the Lord's Supper, and then we will take it together as a body. Does that sound good? Okay, let me pray. And then after I pray, then just as you feel led, go ahead and come up, grab the elements, dip the cracker in the juice, and then go back to your place, and then I'll come up, and I will lead us in the Lord's Supper. God, we are so grateful. God, we're so grateful that that. We, we can't do this on our own and that you have made a way for this to happen, Lord, to, to our lives to flourish, for our church to flourish. Father, we need you. We need you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for a new year. We thank you for the blessings that we will receive and we thank you for the hardships, God, because we know that you're good. We know that you're in control. We know that you love us and we know that we can have joy and endurance and patience in the midst of, of all of the, the storms that, are, that will come in our lives, whether they're small or whether they're significant, God. So we celebrate today by taking this Lord's Supper together, and we do so with grateful hearts. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we trust you, and we pray all of this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Come, take, and then we'll celebrate together.